Bernie Sanders says billionaires should not exist. So what is a billionaire and how much is a billion dollars? The sheer enormity of it all can be quite overwhelming. So let's break down some of the numbers for us here. It's well known that the top 1% in the United States owns approximately 40% of the country's wealth, which is to say that the top 1% owns more wealth than the bottom 90%. Bernie Sanders, like many of you people out there watching this video, find that statistic to be abhorrent. Bernie himself has gone so far as to argue that billionaires should not exist. Now, let's break that claim down a little bit. How much is a billion dollars and why shouldn't they exist, aside from it just being an obscene and unnecessary amount of money? If you were given $1,000 every day since the year one of the common era, 1 AD, you would not be as rich as Jeff Bezos today. Hence the origins of Bernie Sanders' Stop Bezos Act. Bernie Sanders touts the millionaires and the billionaires, but it's worth mentioning that there is indeed a massive difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars, despite the fact that most of us out there, present company included, never even aspires or hopes or dreams of ever owning a million dollars or having a million of anything before we die. Most of us just hope not to die in the poorhouse or on a street corner somewhere. There are a million seconds in 12 days. However, it takes 31 years for a billion seconds to tick by. How do you become a billionaire, you might ask? There are approximately 540 billionaires in the United States, and collectively they control about $2.4 trillion, which is a relatively paltry 3% of the wealth in the entire country. But how do you become a billionaire? That's really the question at stake. A lot of people are arguing that Bernie Sanders has gone too far in arguing that we should abolish or liquidate even the billionaire class. In order to save a billion dollars, you would have to put $50,000 in your bank account every single year for a full 20,000 years. 20,000 years. And as my guest today uh, points out in a recent article in Jacobin Magazine, more time, 20,000 years is more time since the last ice age. Okay. So you don't just become a billionaire by saving your money and uh, working hard and practicing stick to Look, somebody has a great idea and they follow it through and they work hard and they build something. Good for them. You have to pillage and steal and exploit in order to become a billionaire. And this is precisely why Bernie Sanders along with them, democratic socialists and progressives argue that there should be no billionaires. So in order to break down Bernie Sanders policies around the billionaires and the millionaires alike, we're going to talk about it. Joining me to discuss Bernie Sanders policy around the billionaire class is Luke Savage. Luke is a staff writer at Jacobin Magazine. He is also a contributing writer at Current Affairs and a co-host of the Michael and Us podcast. Thanks so much for coming on DPS. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. So as I mentioned in that extended intro, Bernie Sanders is waging a war on the billionaire class. He argues that billionaires shouldn't exist. Uh, in a nutshell, 
What does it mean to argue that billionaires shouldn't exist? I think Bernie Sanders, just on a kind of basic moral level, recognizes that there's something obscene about uh, wealth inequality on this scale. But I think more importantly, he understands that there's uh, simply no way that we can allow uh, so much wealth uh, and therefore power to be controlled by such a tiny group of people. Um, you know, quoting the statistics on what a billion dollars uh, is, how much money it is, uh, it's useful for illustrating the gap between billionaires and the rest of us. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it needs to be understood that nobody earns uh, that amount of wealth. Uh, there's no, you, you don't amass it through, as you said, hard work or through, you know, diligent savings or something like that. These are rents extracted from uh, other people's uh, labor. You know, it's not their money, it's ours. To say that billionaires shouldn't exist is to uh, is to recognize uh, two things. Uh, well, three things really. First, the immorality of that scale of inequality. Uh, two, the threat to democracy that's posed by uh, a small group of people possessing so much wealth and power. Um, and uh, and three, the fact that uh, there's no uh, legitimate way to amass that amount of wealth to begin with. There's no system that is moral or ethical that produces uh, this outcome. And I think that's what uh, Bernie Sanders is unique in terms of uh, mainstream U.S. politicians uh, in understanding. That's right. There's an increasing awareness that Bill Gates, for example, didn't become a multi, multi, multi-billionaire by just being a damn good software engineer. It takes a whole lot of grift, theft, and outright exploitation, perhaps uh, even far more violently uh, than just pure economic means uh, can, can outline, you know, billionaires uh, or the robber barons going back to the beginning of industrial capitalism in the United States. Anyway, people know all about the robber barons. Let's talk about Bernie Sanders' wealth tax. Elizabeth Warren has released a competing wealth tax herself. Of course, the emphasis there is really quite different. She has never once said anything about abolishing billionaires, that a billionaire shouldn't exist, or that it's eth unethical or immoral to be a billionaire, or she hasn't said anything about how you might even come about getting a billion dollars. She just kind of stayed out of that debate herself. Uh, so there's definitely a difference in emphasis between the two tax plans. But outline those two wealth tax plans and uh, what are some of the key differences there? Well, so the, the, the most basic difference is just that Sanders' plan is more, uh, is more radical. It's a steeper scale. Um, so I think it goes, I think it kicks in around $32 million and above with a 1% tax. And then it, it goes all the way up to as high as 8%. Warren's tax is somewhat progressive in as much as I believe it begins at 2% and goes up as high as 3 so kind of modestly progressive. Um, interestingly, it actually kicks in later than Sanders' tax does, that is later up the, higher up the income scale. So I think it kicks in around $50 million. But I think the big difference here is actually in terms of how each of them are selling, as it were, these two plans. Because it's not simply a case of uh, these are two attempts to solve the same problem and one of them just is more uh, radical or, or kind of um, more, more extreme, as some would put it, than the other, they actually do have fundamentally different conceptions of what wealth is uh, and, and what, you know, what we should do about inequality. I think that really comes out in the way that both of them promoted these, these plans. 
So, for example, uh, there's a, a, a quote that uh, I really like, I think it's very illustrative, that Matt Carp quoted. Um, it's an Elizabeth Warren quote in a recent essay that he wrote for Jacobin called, Is This the Future Liberals Want? And he points out that when Warren does vow to uh, challenge the power of the wealthy, her rhetoric actually often uh, works to naturalize inequality uh, as a fact of, of American life. So she said, in America, there are going to be people who are richer and people who are not so rich, and the rich are going to own more shoes and they're going to own more cars, and they may even own more houses, but they shouldn't own more of our democracy. So, I mean, that's a, there's a lot to unpack in that quote, but I think that it's inarguably very different from the kinds of things you hear from Bernie Sanders, where he will just say straight up, uh, billionaires should not exist. Th those are very different conceptions of society and, and, where, and where we should take it um, and how we should structure it. And I think that's really borne out even in just s something as simple as the rhetorical differences between these two candidates. Do you believe that Elizabeth Warren thinks that billionaires are immoral because Bernie Sanders has all but said precisely those words himself. Do you think that Warren believes that? That's a good question. Uh, it's actually, it's actually rather difficult to know. I don't know what Elizabeth Warren's deep moral and ethical commitments are. And I think one of the reasons for that is that she's so fond of, um, and I think even her supporters would would agree about this. She's so fond of speaking. She speaks in ethical terms more than she does in, in moral terms, for one thing, uh, you know, but also a lot of the way that she talks about her own policies. I mean, I think it is uh, it is rather technocratic um, and and she keeps things more rooted in kind of, um, you know, the empirical facts of things as opposed to. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, a bigger moral cosmology about how we might uh, put it kind of awkwardly in terms of how we might talk about inequality. So a good example of that would be her recent spat with Bill Gates. I wrote about it actually in a piece that I think is not out yet, but probably will be by the time you put this out. So Bill Gates earlier this week did an interview where he went after Warren's wealth tax and he kind of erroneously suggested that, you know, he said, well, I, I pay $10 billion uh, right now and I could pay $20 billion, but if you make me pay $100 billion, I mean, that's just where's the incentive going to be, uh, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, of course, Warren's wealth tax would not actually, you know, take $100 billion of Bill Gates's uh, money. But there was an interesting contrast in how Sanders and Warren both responded to this, and, and um, their difference in emphases really couldn't be more clear because Warren responded by tweeting at Bill Gates and basically saying, um, I would love to meet with you to explain you know, uh, how my wealth tax would work. And I assure you, you wouldn't pay $100 billion. Um, now, to be fair to Warren, I think there was probably a bit of sarcasm intended in this. Um, but Bernie Sanders, uh, responding to it, said, uh, imagine if Bill Gates did pay $100 billion, we could end homelessness. Um, you know, and, and our message to the billionaire class is uh, they can't have it all. And, and um, just finally, Warren, I think, has since released some kind of calculator where the super rich are, I guess, uh, being trolled into, you know, um, uh, uh, calculating how much they'd pay under her wealth tax. But I think even that really shows the difference in emphasis here. Um, Bernie Sanders says, uh, you know, you shouldn't exist. Your existence is immoral. And Elizabeth Warren says, here's a calculator uh, do some math. Um, and I'm partly being flippant there, but I'm also yeah. in, in attempting to answer your question. I really, I'm really not sure, um, 
I, I'm really not sure of uh, what Elizabeth Warren's you know moral commitments are in terms of inequality. I believe she's concerned about it, but uh, in some fashion. But beyond that, I, I really don't know. Following from last week's episode with Steve Marr, uh, Dead Punnett Society here on uh, the video version, the A side, we tried to we tried to transcend this Bernie versus Warren kind of personality. Uh, debate personality battle that's being waged in like Twitter and political spaces online and, and transcend that to get to the real heart of this issue, which is to say that this is a real debate. This is a referendum. This is a real test between the politics of democratic socialism and the politics of kind of a vague wishy-washy American progressivism. And, and so uh, going beyond the kind of what does Warren think about billionaires, what does Sanders think about billionaires, it really does highlight one of the crucial differences inside of the so-called progressive community in North America, wherein somebody like, say, uh, Kyle Kalinske calls himself a progressive, very infamous, uh, famous YouTuber, I should say, very, very smart guy, engaging, fun to watch. I'm a subscriber. Uh, I enjoy his commentary. Uh, but he's a hardcore Bernie bro and agrees that the billionaire class shouldn't exist. But he he balks at the idea of calling himself a democratic socialist. He calls himself a progressive. These are Bernie progressives. On the other hand, we have uh, progressives who are hardcore Warren supporters, who uh, cringe at uh, you know Bernie Sanders' more radical rhetoric, but believe that they actually have the tool to right the wrongs and cure the ills of society above and beyond these you know these old fashioned out of touch. Uh, you know, white male Bernie bros, you know, this, this rhetoric that's tossed about. So this is an opportunity for us to really clarify and, and make new distinctions, new meaningful distinctions in the mainstream between democratic socialism and progressivism. And the first one here is that Liz Warren argues that billionaires should pay their fair share. Whereas Bernie Sanders, a democratic socialist, argues there's, there, there's no way to talk about a billionaire class and use the word fair in the same sentence. It's fundamentally unjust. Uh, do you think there's any truth to that? What's, what, what does this debate about billionaires say about this distinction between progressivism and democratic socialism? It's going to become more and more important as this political movement matures. It's interesting. I mean, the way I think about that, uh, the label of progressive is an interesting one to to dive into because because it is so nebulous and it can be applied to pe so many different people self-identify with it. Um, and I, I mean, I've even been guilty of using it um, in in particular contexts where I where I think it makes sense or where I think that um, it will make sense to the audience that I'm addressing. Um, I mean, I think that uh, your your question really hits on what the distinction is here. Uh, if you're a socialist, uh, you don't believe that uh, inequality should exist on this scale or that it can exist on this scale, um, you know, uh, legitimately. You don't believe the solution is kind of to ameliorate it in some fashion while preserving uh, the hierarchy. You don't believe in diminishing the hierarchy. You believe in in eliminating it. Um, so I think that's uh, I, I think that's the that's the answer right there that that highlights the distinction. But I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the you know why is it that this label progressive continues to have such currency, um, and why is it so kind of confusingly used uh, today? And I think one of the one of the reasons for that is that um, the left has been nowhere in American politics for so many decades. 
um, you know, uh, there were people that didn't feel comfortable for various reasons identifying as liberals. So progressive, I mean, in the early 2000s, when I was first getting interested in American politics, progressive was how you distinguished yourself. It's how it's it's how you said, I'm not a, a Bill Clinton Democrat. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, or I'm not uh, I'm I'm to the left of John Kerry or, or Hillary Clinton or something like that. I'm with um, Kucinich. Maybe. Yeah, you know. I, I'm, with, I'm with Kucinich. And that the, was because the, the, uh, the, the salad days of uh, the early uh, left movement <laughs> in the United yeah, States. The, yeah, the, the days when uh, we were all we were all reading Adbusters and, and Chomsky and watching Michael Moore when those were the three those were the three options. Yeah. Um, but uh, so there a lot got collapsed into this this term uh, progressive. And there were a lot of political coalitions that were formed in that time around particular issues during the Bush era, for example, around uh, opposing the Iraq war. There were people who were against the Iraq war who, you know, probably uh, are big Elizabeth Warren supporters now, or they might even support a candidate who's far less uh, progressive, there's the word again, than Elizabeth Warren. Um, but it made perfect sense for people on the socialist left, what was then the much smaller and less self-confident socialist left to form coalitions with, with those folks. Um, even uh, as recently as 2016, um, because Hillary Clinton was running, uh, you know, significantly to the right of where not just Elizabeth Warren's running, but I mean, significantly to the right, I would argue, of even where Pete Buttigieg or someone like that is running, um, not even token uh, gestures to appeal to the party's progressive wing, open contempt for uh, not just the socialist left, but even uh, fairly uh, soft left inclined Democrats. So all of those things, I think, uh, kind of smoothed over the distinctions in many ways, uh, unhelpfully, between uh, democratic socialism or even social democracy and liberalism to the extent that uh, now um, a lot of people uh, are still thinking in a very, they're still in a very sort of 2012 mindset. There are two, uh, the two most progressive senators in the U.S. Senate I hate to bring it back to personality again, but this is how I think a lot of people think, still think about the issue. Uh, in 2012, it was so common to say, well, there's two, the two most progressive senators are, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who I guess was just elected then, and, and Bernie Sanders. Those are the progressives, and then you have the others. Um, and so uh, part of the task, I think, of, of the socialist left now is to uh, continue to explain, you know, uh, in the Sanders and Warren uh, contest, but beyond it, especially that there are these distinctions and that uh, while there may be coalitions that can be created between, uh, you know, progressive liberalism and democratic socialism, they are fundamentally different philosophies and they have different goals. Um, and uh, it's important to recognize that for a variety of reasons. Billionaires should not exist. I think we've made a very persuasive and powerful case for that. Just in closing, it's nice to remind people that the billionaires at Amazon sank their teeth into the city of uh, Seattle, uh, Washington, and have wreaked havoc on the political system, upending a number of democratic, socialist, and progressive candidates at the city level. And uh, billionaires will do that whenever and wherever they are able to entrench themselves uh, in, into that, into the, these communities in that way. So yeah, I think billionaires should not exist. Luke Savage, you've made a very persuasive case. And I think we've made some really key distinctions between progressivism and democratic socialism. We're going to continue doing that as this primary unfolds. And I'm sure we'll continue doing that well after the primary as well. 
Uh, it's exciting that we have the opportunity finally to make these arguments in the mainstream and they not only to make them in the mainstream, but in a way that just makes sense to people. Uh, and this distinction that we've made between progressives and democratic socialism with a respect to their beliefs around whether or not billionaires should exist is a excellent example. So Luke Savage, thanks again for coming on Dead Pundit Society. Cheers. A pleasure. And as always, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel so you get notified every time we put out videos. We're going to be doing that with much more frequency in the coming weeks. Thanks again for watching. <laughs>